0: Hello, and welcome to the third episode of Kit Pod. So on to introductions and what we're wearing. After mentioning the mid-90s ASICS DRIP template last week in the pod, I'm wearing the 9495 95 Rockweiss version, so it's mainly white with red accents. Renault sponsor, really nice badge. We'll be posting pictures of all the shirts we mentioned on the shirt today on Twitter and Instagram, so please make sure to check those out. So over to you, Rob, what are you wearing?
1: Uh, I'm wearing the Ajax shirt from the early 90s, uh, shirt they wore when they won the UEFA Cup in 91-92. It's a classic Umbro from that era. It's got Ajax and Umbro badges uh, imprinted into the shirt. Everything's sublimated, so it looks pretty much like it was bought and made yesterday, so I love that about it. It's got some lovely little Umbro details on the cuffs as well and is definitely my favourite of every single individual and distinctive Ajax home shirt that's been released since 1900.
0: Excellent. Uh, on the subject of a, a distinctive kit choice, um, Adrian, what have you gone for this time?
2: Yeah, hello, everybody. It's Adrian, Football Shirts Halia, on Twitter and Instagram. Although I'm retiring my Instagram account, my wife found it and started pricing up the shirts in my pictures. Today, I am wearing a Roma away shirt, 1990-91. It was goodbye to Enra. So lovely white, shiny, shiny shirt uh, sewn on the pate badge and a lovely uh, red and orange trim. And Tom, I can see some uh, East European
0: shirts in the background. But what are you wearing today?
3: So, hello everyone. I'm Tom, otherwise known as Shirt Fan, and today I have the blue and white stripes and stripes of Hertha Berlin and their 2018 to 19 home shirt. Excellent.
0: And finally, introducing a new guest. So, really pleased to have Phil Harrison on the pod. So, at Phil Harrison 192, check it out, Phil. This is a, a really nice account based around football history, particularly Eastern European football history from the 50s to the 80s or so. And this is a topic he's going to cover today. Uh, this is following on from his article in issue two of Kit Mag, which focused on East German football kits. So welcome, Phil. And what are you wearing?
4: Uh, hi, guys. Yeah, I'm wearing a, uh, a DDR T-shirt that my friend Wordy Art Online has, uh, has uh, sent me. Very... Uh, very kindly, uh, and also wearing uh, a black Adidas cap with a tree 4 design on. Uh, not just I'm not trying to pre-ordain where this uh, is going to go, but uh, I've, I've, I've got the memo, and this is where I think it's going to go. So. Thanks for that, Phil, and over to this week's Kit
1: News. So there's a bit of a retro feel to news this week, actually. Quite a lot of the shirts that seem to be released are within our news content, kind of harking back to the past. We've had Dundalk releasing a new Awaken for 2022 that harks back to the 1991 shirt. We've had a, a whole plethora of J League teams releasing shirts, whether it's from Hummel or Adidas, all sorts of different ones that go back to the anniversary of that league. We've got QPR who've released a 140th anniversary shirt. And then we bring it up to the modern time a little bit when we've got into with their fancy QR codes with their kind of weird cryptocurrency sponsor that we're going to have a little chat about as well. So coming to you first, Adrian, um, tell us a little bit about this QPR shirt. Yeah. Okay. So um, as you say, it's QPR
2: 140 year anniversary shirt. It's another shirt that's been fan designed. So they ran a competition. Fans come forward and designed the shirt. It's um, era produced and um, keeping them with the theme of a lot of modern shirts at the moment. It's got it's got maps across it. It's quite a nice touch, actually. It's got uh old map, the old street map from 140 years ago of a Queen Park area. So that's that's a really nice touch. Uh, it's a lovely half and half number. Actually, uh, think of think of Wiccan Wanderers is the only way I can describe it. So it's half and half navy sky blue. That apparently is their first ever shirt. Uh, colors, lovely granddad collar. Looks very nice. And it's a lucky winning shirt as well, because Charlie Austin scored a winner against West Brom in it yesterday.
1: Yeah, I saw that. It's always great when they wear these anniversary shirts in, in a real match as well, because it gives that extra little bit to a shirt, doesn't it? Quite interesting that they've gone for that map detail as well on the shirt. I wonder if there's going to be any delivery disasters with the uh, last map shirt that got released.
2: Well, on delivery disasters, I don't think so. It's available from the club shop and online for tomorrow only. They're expecting it to sell out very quickly, and it's limited to one shirt per customer as well. So hopefully it means it will stay with fans.
3: So a limited release, but do we know how many
2: are going to be released? I've not seen a number anywhere. Um, All they've said is they expect it to sell out and it's limited to one of fans. So I I guess a couple of thousand would be my guess. The ones that they actually wore in the game, uh, the match shirts are going to be raffled off uh, for charity or auctioned off for charity, which again is a a nice touch. More and more clubs are doing it at the moment. Uh, It's a nice way to um, to help, help charity in this day and age.
1: Yeah, definitely, those match-worn shirts especially are becoming uh, more prevalent with these auctions. Thinking back about J-League then, we've got a few um, anniversary shirts, a few sort of retro design shirts. Tom, what have you got on that for us?
3: So, yeah, so it's 30 years since the inception of the first J-League season this year. So, as the clubs are kind of leaking their shirts out, ready for the new season, we've had a lot of new ones come through. Uh, The Urawa Red Diamonds... I've, I've got that right, but it's really hard to say for me anyway. But uh, yeah, so th- theirs there's, is a 30-year anniversary shirt. It's a really nice red shirt, nice collar on it, white striping details on the collar. And their away shirt is definitely one to check out. It's a uh, white and grey vertical stripes. It's quite different. Stands out a bit amongst a lot of them. But the main story really for me is the return of Admiral and their classic 1982 England shirt template so Jubilo Owata have got five shirts using that template this year and every single one of them looks great in a whole plethora of different colours
2: so they're the uh, Napoli of the J League are they five shirts to start off
3: yeah yeah they must be yeah one for every colour of the rainbow I'll
1: bring (laughs) I'll bring you in on this one Phil what are your memories of that sort of um, England 82 shirt that template
4: Oh, I, uh, I mean, obviously uh, a big fan of football from the age of eight. So so for me, Admiral, Admiral was, uh, was was the brand I, I can remember because they were so mass manufactured and so cheap. Uh, every uh, birthday or Christmas, I'd, I'd have an Admiral shirt and my mum would uh, buy them for me with impunity. She bought me a Southampton shirt, even though I was a Birmingham City fan. Uh, she bought me a England shirt. She bought she bought me a Manchester United away shirt, the white one with the uh, the the black kind of yeah, stripes yeah, down yeah. the front. So yeah, yeah, I had
1: loads of them. I'd loads. I would just wish I kept them. Oh yeah, they will be worth an absolute fortune. I thought actually, I thought it was quite a nice colourway on that one, but I couldn't help but think that blue one looked a bit like the um, was it an England cricket shirt from the World Cup in like the early years or something did, like. Yeah. Do you remember that one? Yeah, the T twenty yeah.
3: World Cup winning shirt, yeah. Yeah.
1: It was Admiral as well, wasn't it? I think so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I, I loved the um
3: Oh no, sorry, it was new it was New Balance, the World Cup winning new one. Balance. Yeah, Admiral um, before that.
1: Right. The one that I thought was, was pretty um pretty interesting was that Jeff United one, the um the Hummel designed one, which kind of I think hark back to like, the nineteen ninety-three shirt with the one with the yellow and the the old Sega sponsor that I know a lot of collectors are um pretty keen to get. Um the Dundalk one I thought was pretty cool. I think Umbro have done some great stuff actually recently. We talked a little bit last week about the Umbro shirts that they've done for AFCON. They've done some great stuff with countries all around the world, really. Maybe not as much in England, but I thought the Dundalk one, which has sort of the, I don't know what you kind of call it, the sort of diamond pattern that goes right across the shirt from the early 90s, and probably similar in a way to some of the designs that you see on some of those uh, other shirts from that era. But bringing it right up to date with some fancy technology, meshed in with some fancy cryptocurrency for the team leading the way in Syria at the moment. Adrian, give us a shout about the uh, these Inter Milan QR codes. What's going on there?
2: Well, this is uh, good and bad news, really. So Inter Milan played Juventus in the Supercopper final during midweek, um, beating them 2-1. So the Inter home shirt, there's been a lot of noise around it. It's a snake skin effectively, snake skin effect striped shirt. And the sponsor across it's got gathered even more um, thoughts and opinion this year. And it's the, it's got the Sinter fan token across it. It's a big dollar sign and Inter fan token. And there's been a lot of do people for it, with or without the sponsor. What they did in midweek, actually, they ditched that completely uh, and went with a Sockius.com and a QR code on it, which is a sponsor, I think looked a lot nicer. The QR code linked to um, to a song, I think it's called it's a solar Inter. It's like their club club song, club, club anthem. So the idea was you could scan the QR code as a fan and you could experience the uh, being being in the stadium and listen to that song being sung. Um, as I say, it's sort of full circle because that was voted for based on your Sokios fan points. So yeah, yeah people hate it, but you had to use your Sokios points to vote for it. Who saw the, who saw the shirt? Yeah, so did they use it in the, the copper final? Is that right? Or the
3: super copper, something like that?
2: The Super Cup of final, yeah. the so, rumour yeah. is the
3: trophy will actually be an NFT now. That's what they're going to do. <laughs> they're replace it and gift them that with their crypto.
1: John Terry's going to be there, isn't he, with his NFTs himself, isn't he? A bit like when he had that full kit on for the Champions League final.
2: <laughs> yeah, I can see it. He's 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 getting it already.
1: John Terry and his, <laughs> he in, his
2: He would turn up in the inter-kit as well just to pick up that trophy, I'm sure. But, but in terms of the sponsor itself on the shirt... I don't know what your thoughts are. I thought it actually looked, you know, aesthetically, I think it looked a lot nicer, Rob.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it did, actually. It was quite cool. The way that they'd done it, it looked a bit, it was less like an add-on and more like, this is the actual sponsor, but we've built the tech in with it rather than just, we've kind of shoved this QR code onto the shirt that we've already got. It was quite a nice touch, I thought. It was a little bit like the um, QR code that we were talking about in episode one. Um, Tom from the sort of forward Madison um, shirts when they had the sort of buy a beer for a pan, but I suppose it just shows the the potential that you've got for sponsors or the interactivity that you can get from replica shirts, possibly. Because if you think about it before, it generally was a lot of beer sponsors back in the 80s and 90s or more sort of like products that you would buy. What do we think we, we could see in the future? I suppose we've got, we've had drinks from Ford Madison. We've got these sort of crypto tokens from Inter. Tom, what do you reckon we could see in the future from sponsors?
3: Well, I think, it you know, it does open up a, a huge opportunity for these clubs as, as they try and build their brands and engage with fans overseas. You know, it, it can lead to a hell of yeah. a lot of, like, fan engagement through using these barcodes. But, yeah, I don't really know the extent to which it could go, really. I mean, it's it's, it's good for social media and, and club songs and things. But, yeah, it, yeah, where will it go? I'm not sure. Because Tr- Tromso had that, they, you know, they claimed it was the first shirt to use a QR code which is obviously not true. I think it's quite a hotly contested title that, but, you know, it's also been pointed out they were the first club to have the barcode design within the material of the shirt. I don't know. It's like I said, it's it's a lot of uh, mixed claims. So who who has been the first team to use that?
2: Because theirs was an odd one, wasn't it? Tromsø, wasn't it? Yeah, Tromsø, yeah. Yeah. They used it for, it just, didn't it go to like a UNICEF charter or something or, you know, it was a, it's a force for good message, wasn't it? In effect, yeah, it's, yeah. It's it's but, but QR codes on shirts, I mean, Zeus have been doing that, for not not actually in the shirt, but Zeus have had the barcode in the bottom right corner on their shirts for, feels like seven or eight years now from a you know an authentication perspective. You put your phone over it and you can check you've got a legit shirt and you haven't been sharpened by somebody on, uh, on eBay or something like that.
1: Phil, were the many QR codes on the, that chocolate brown Coventry Admiral shirt from back <laughs> in the late 70s, you think? <laughs> I don't think there were, mate. No,
4: I think it was uh, just, just very much the, uh, the to the template and it stayed that way. Uh, future shirts, though, they might have, you know, like Blade Runner where they've got that video thing going on. They might have yeah. like video adverts with a Japanese woman biting a cherry and then move on to... Well, just a thought about how future advertising might go with shirts, really. Yeah, You could be it, wrong.
3: You yeah, could use on, it for yeah. holographic players of the past, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like bring some, do, some do you know what, of greats back.
2: Do you know what though? I reckon you're onto something there, Phil. Because so the um, sponsorship boards that go around pitches at the moment. Mm. So some games you'll see them are just green, and so that whatever country you're watching that game played in, they actually pay for the sponsors that are applicable to to that team. Um, I wonder if I wonder if they will ever go down the route in the future, whether it's a QR code or whether it's a, a green box that you have on a on a football shirt, and depending where you're watching that. That team play in the world depends on the sponsor you see appear on a kit honestly it wouldn't surprise me
4: well you'd certainly coin it in with uh, with uh, sponsorship money wouldn't you because you could have a,
1: multiple amounts on your shirt and uh, and and sell the space to everyone i suppose one of the worst things you could possibly see from it is the fact that the sort of amount of betting companies that sponsor shirts now you i mean i wouldn't be surprised if you could see links to latest odds within the game and all that sort of stuff. But one thing I thought could be quite interesting for the um, shirts or name sets would be you might be able to get a link to an interview with a player or their highlights or games they've played. I suppose there's quite a lot of things to um, to think about, really. But it's quite interesting how we've got that sort of clash between, we, as fans and collectors, we probably want the shirts to hark back to the good old days. But the sponsors and the things like that probably look at, look at it from a more modern era. So quite an interesting thing. And um, This week, I thought, with our news, in terms of bridging the, the classic and the modern.
2: So, so in terms of news, though, I've got an update from last week's new I- news items that came up, and that was the, the Hereford cow doing food oh, yeah. on the pitch Seamless. during oh. half-time. Yeah, so I've had an update. I've been contacted by a Hereford United fan. Unfortunately, he's a little bit too young to remember it, but he has confirmed there was a bull. There were several bulls, one of which was called Ronaldo. <laughs> they used to parade it around the pitch before, particularly before big games. Um, he can't quite remember the, uh, the half time raffle being done like that, but he does say, you know, he has said that it would not surprise him and it sounds a very Hereford thing to do. So, I, I mean, I'm taking that as as proof and, you know, the search is over. Story's now closed.
1: Yeah, yeah. All we need to do now is um, get that on YouTube and maybe we can try and get the cow on the next episode, maybe. <laughs> I know, the cow, he lives
4: by me. Oh, there you go. Stick a piece of rope round his neck. I'll I'll pull him
1: in for the next podcast. Phil, you can come on anytime you like. (laughs) Cheers, buddy. And as you heard from our intros at the start of the pod and and as we've been going through, we're really pleased to be joined by uh, Phil Harrison, who's uh, one of the writers for Kit Mag and one of the editors too. And now, Volume 2 is is sold out in all our print copies, so we're all really pleased with that. But you can still get it digitally if you wish. Um, Phil's written a brilliant article called War in the DDR, which is a brief kit history of the German Democratic Republic. We go all around sort of 60s, 70s, 80s, all through that period of time. A little bit of Avidas within there as well. But Phil, when you started to um, pitch the idea for this for Kit Mag and, and sort of your own interests... And what drew you to this topic more than any other?
4: Well, I mean, my first interest in the DDR came from Panini uh, and and uh, like the 1978 World Cup one, uh, towards the tail end, there was, uh, there was a piece on, there was like a little page that had like stickers from the DDR. Uh, and since then, I've always been interested in, in that. So that was the kind of fuel that kind of made me interested in the DDR. Obviously, you mentioned Adidas as well. The 78 World Cup was my advent for football. And like 12 of the 16 countries at the 78 World Cup had Adidas shirts. So so I've had a, a love of the DDR and Adidas that was kind of born from 1978, really.
1: Yeah, it's quite interesting, isn't it? How, you know, those sorts of teams that around that time all ended up, well, we'll talk about that a little bit later on, but all ended up with very, very similar shirts, very similar templates within that. Um. What was sort of a little bit of the history behind the DDR for people who maybe aren't aware of football within that period?
4: Well, I mean, obviously the DDR was a kind of political buffer between the East and the West, uh, and they uh, they formed their kind of football identity in the early 50s. So initially, the national team were originated in... They played the first international in 1952, although they did have uno- unofficial... Internationals before that in 1951 they played it against Dynamo Moscow at what was then the Walter Ulbricht Stadium in uh, East Berlin, and then played official uh, internationals afterwards. Although the international against Dynamo Moscow they played in a f- all white kit, so their like initial that. kit was all, wh- all white. Right, but obviously it had connotations. Wearing a, a white kit, it was very similar to the uh, the West German kit which obviously they didn't want because it, it had allusions to Nazis and, and their Prussian imperialist past. And when it actually went to the DS, who were the East German Sports Council, that, that then became the Deutsche of the DDR, which was the East German FA, it was discussed what colour shirt they were going to wear. So white went out the window. Uh, they, they initially pitched the colour red, but it was obviously worn by their ideological brothers, the Soviet Union. So they uh, eventually plumbed for the azure colour they remained faithful to throughout the period until the the country's uh, demise in early 1990 as a political entity. But they went for the blue kit because it was the colour of the ruling party, the SED, and it was also the uh, chosen hue of the FDJ, who were the, uh, the free youth movement of the DDR, so that they were the like uh, youth, uh, the political voice of the youth there. So it was a cut that
1: fit really. So they wore the, uh, they wore, they chose the blue, uh, and that's what they stuck with. It was quite an interesting time, I suppose, for football at that time. Quite an interesting time in the sense that football was sort of starting to become more global, as the world was as well. So in terms of some of the players that were made famous throughout that time playing for DDR what who would be the um, the sort of familiar ones that would have made the shirt memorable for people
4: Well the ones that you you'll probably remember that obviously there obviously there's Joachim Streich who was the I mean he he won over 100 caps for the uh, for East Germany 102 caps 53 goals so good goal to cap ratio However, uh, FIFA have now kind of demoted that 102 total to 98 because four of those games were played for the Olympic team. So, right. post the end of, uh, of his career, he was, uh, he, was, he was then demoted to... He wasn't in the 100 club anymore, which right. must have been awfully frustrating for him. And then, obviously, Jürgen Pomarenka, who was a, a very combative midfielder who played in the 74 squad. And Then we're moving on. There was George Stubner, who was also a fantastic central midfielder for Dynamo Dresden Club. He uh, kept Michel Platini totally quiet during a 1985 uh, World Cup qualifier in Leipzig, so uh, he he kept the mercurial Platini quiet in the game. And then, obviously, we're moving on into the 80s, and we've got Andreas Dom, who uh, who, who played in those kits, uh, and uh, Olaf Marshall. And, and, of course, uh, the, the, the great Matthias Sammer, who also his father, Klaus Sammer, played uh, back in the uh, 60s and 70s for uh, the DDR as well. So, so some great players amongst it, some real kind of icons of, of the game. Um, and uh, they all wore the beautiful kits, fantastic, uh, wonderful kits of, uh, you know, most of them trefoil, but the ones harking back to 74, obviously, were the ones that were made in-house in the DDR.
1: Yeah, it's quite an interesting story how, you know, as you reach the end of the 70s and you start getting into the 80s, uh, lots of those Eastern Bloc uh, teams started to work with Adidas, didn't they, with all their, uh, with all their shirts?
4: Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Yeah, Adidas was, uh, like, the, the first manufacturer to, stick, uh, to sort of, like, uh, ship uh, branded clothes to Eastern Europe. A lot of the Slavic nations uh, embraced the shirts, uh, and there's a reason why, <laughs> uh, like Poland, Yugoslavia, Hungary, they they uh they were partic- they particularly liked the brand because the three uh, stripes apparently represented the Holy Trinity, which was like the Orthodox faith. Oh, right, okay. So so that's uh, like an interesting little tidbit that the, the the Slavic countries liked it because of the religious connotation of it, and in a, a kind of era when religion was repressed. It gave a, a, It was a little bit of a, a kind of sniper authority as well. So also Adidas at the time, it, it had a connection. The, the connection with the brand was established because it showed, a, it was a status symbol. If you wore Adidas, it showed that you were kind of moneyed uh, within the society. So, so that also was a reason why it particularly kind of hit off in the, uh, Eastern Europe. I think you fast forward that and to 1982. Pretty much every single
2: Eastern Bloc country was in Adidas and playing in
4: Trefoil. Was that right? Yeah, you had uh, like Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Poland, uh, even Albania, who were obviously they were they were a completely kind of remote uh, communist outpost. The beautiful kits of uh, Yugoslavia, my. Uh, some of my personal favourites alongside with the, uh, the DDR, the uh, late 80s, early 90s kits of Yugoslavia, just beautiful pieces of work. Some fantastic kits amongst those. Some great players as well, you know, like Dragon uh, Stojkovic and yeah, his performance against Spain, the, the pullback and the finish and the, uh, the free kick. It's just, you know, so evocative, such beautiful kits and such great players.
3: It's not a bad time for the DDR to have been with Adidas either. I mean, they've had some of the great templates in world football, haven't they? Didn't they have the, the Ipswich template and the geometric one that the Netherlands had in 88 as well?
4: Yeah, that's see, that one's the one with the thin pinstripe as well and the uh, the, yeah, the wing collar. Yeah, really, a really beautiful piece of kit. Yeah.
2: So in terms of Albania, just a little tidbit. I want to go back to this just to prove I'm a pr- well-read individual, well-rounded. It's not just football shirts for me. Who knew Albania is the world's only atheist state? I did. I <laughs> know well, you did. Because I read it on your Twitter feed. <laughs> uh,
4: thanks for that, mate. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> if you want more like that, follow me at Football Geeks.
2: <laughs> I'd give it a glowing endorsement. and glowing endorsement. Bill. Oh, thank you, mate. Thank you.
3: Sorry, I was just looking at the uh, the DDR kits here up on my screen while we're talking. Uh, the, the 1984 home. Is very similar to that QPR shirt that we spoke about earlier, isn't it? The half yeah,
4: and half. It, that's it's, it's segment, segmented, kind of kit, and it's, uh, it's it's a really nice one as well. What would be your favourite, Phil? Well, my favourite was the one that they wore. Funnily enough, I was I was uh, I was watching a video earlier, and it was, uh, and it was the uh, it was towards the tail end of the uh, the, the Soviet Union. Uh, sorry, tail end of the DDR, but it was against the Soviet Union. It was a 1989 qualifying game in Karl Marxstadt, and uh, both countries obviously were on the brink of extinction in an advanced state of fracture. And the East Germany and the USR were both wearing tree four like that day, but the, U- uh, the DDR were wearing a white kit as opposed to the blue one, white with blue trim. Quite a plain kit uh, with blue shorts, that's the one, yeah, blue shorts and the uh, uh, three parallel stripes down the side uh, and white socks. And it was also um, quite iconic because the DDR needed to win the game to have a chance of qualifying for the uh, 1990 World Cup uh, and were 1-0 down with about eight minutes left and then they scored two in a minute and won the game. If they would have gone to Austria and, and just gained a point in their last game, they would have been at the 1990 World Cup. So they would have been a non-existent nation in a, in a World tournament. However, it didn't. It didn't happen. They lost the game, and uh, and history was rewritten once again. Just looking at the uh, t- the photo of the team
2: lineup that day, and there's other than the kit, there's two really striking things. One's the mullets. I mean, there's some <laughs> incredible, incredible haircuts that are just yeah, uh, yeah typical of the time, and also football boots every single player wearing black copper adidas copper boots there's not a single colored boot in there they're all wearing those lovely traditional black boots with the three white stripes and then beautiful well
4: that's it i, th- I think uh and also i mean uh back in those days adidas pitching their their kind of uh, their brand to communist countries it it, it felt like a uh, an acceptable ideological choice because you know you're getting you're getting good quality gear uh, in a country where you probably weren't getting that before so I think a lot of countries in that kind of uh, era and in that corner of the world are quite willing to re- embrace a little bit of kind of western commerce coming coming in.
1: I think it's quite interesting isn't it with um, you get a lot of discussion about templates and we've talked about it um, on the pod before but it when it's done well it doesn't really matter how many teams have got it because all those colours work, the shirts work. And if you look through that sort of evolution of Adidas through the 80s, especially with those teams where they start off in sort of 80, 81, 82, where it's sort of the plain body with the three stripes down the side. Then you move into the three stripes just on the arm with the sort of panels. Then the Yugoslavia shirts sort of start to take on a different turn, but other teams have got them. They look different enough, don't they, within each team, despite the fact that in inverted commas they're all the same
4: yeah well i mean it stems back to like the 78 well because as i said before like the 12 teams in that in a 16 team tournament who wore adidas and all the kits were uh, apart from italy who didn't have the tree uh, trefoil logo on there peru they were all basically the same kit if you're watching in black and white which <laughs> a lot of people were back then yeah. You you could you couldn't really tell the difference between between the sides because the the kits were so similar.
2: Should we just um, for a bit of fun? Should we just have a look at who's who's everybody's favourite kit is? Because it was quite interesting going through the pictures and, and revisiting some of the some of the pictures from Phil's article and doing some research online. And I'm in love. I'll never own this, but I am absolutely in love with the Romania oh. shirt. I mean the colors are incredible that bright yellow and the badge I mean that's just yeah it's just something of beauty it really is fantastic yeah.
1: yeah I always think those um those Yugoslavia shirts that had the the huge huge crest on the chest it was it was kind of like what 10 times the size of the the Adidas logo which now it, it seems pretty crazy but the fact that it was on there and it was so big it was kind of that sort of sense of national pride, I suppose, to have that something so intricate and so detailed within it. And obviously as time went on, they had the shirt with the sort of the white, not not a sash, but the white panels at the side with the red. It kind of um, improved on that so much as well.
3: I think for me, I'm just looking again now, I really like the the 85 shirts. It's that kind of Ventex Adidas, like, the, you know, the same kind of style as France had. I just think it's such a classic look with the kind of bridged collar as well. I think that would be my favourite more than the, the jazzier ones. Mm.
4: Yeah, I'm quite uh, into plain uh, blocks of colour. So as I said before, that 1989 East German shirt that they wore against the Soviet Union, that that to me is, is just perfection because it's it's simple and it's beautiful.
2: Looking at these shirts, and for any collector that's out there thinking of um, snapping up some of these shirts and, and going after them, I, I've had a look myself. They tend to be quite pricey. I mean, how much is, is one of these shirts potentially going to set you back at
4: well you, you're not look you're looking at anywhere uh 200 quid above it, it, it's it's not it's not going to be a kind of a cost, a cost it's, it, it's going to hit you hard financially if you are looking for an east german shirt so so you have to you have to really love it if you're going to invest in it so yeah not easy to come by and it uh not inexpensive either
3: Having read your article, Phil, as well, I I know that a lot of your love of this after the Panini album came from finding them in a box in a shop in Tenerife, was it?
4: That's absolutely correct. And uh, yeah, the the story goes, if you read the article, uh, I was on holiday with my my parents uh, and me and my brother, actually, we walked off uh, into town and there was a little marketplace off the main drag and we went in and there was a shop uh, that was run by this, this Spanish lady uh, and, and it was a, a huge basket of shirts in there uh, and there were like uh, there were Spanish league shirts but the ones that really grabbed me were the Argentina shirt uh, from the 1982 World Cup there was a, there was an, a circa 1982 shirt from East Germany and also a Soviet Union one so I ran back to the beach and grabbed my stepdad dragged him up to this uh, this uh, market and said, I want the East Germany one. And he said, he said, no, he said, you can't have it. I was like, I'll have like the Argentine, you can't have that. He wouldn't let me have any of the three shirts that I wanted because we'd uh, we been at war with Argentina that year. Uh, and the other two were kind of like uh, our our enemies. So, so he was like, no, you're not having them. So uh, they just stayed in the basket. And uh, eventually uh, you can see I got a Dutch shirt from 1981. I was allowed to buy a Dutch shirt because they
1: were our friends. Uh, I come out of it with something, you know, but not what I wanted to. That's like the ultimate holiday story, isn't it? Where for the rest of us, probably in the 90s, we were getting cheap, fake, um, dodgy shirts with um, sublimated name sets, and Phil could have had. Tens of thousand pounds worth of uh, football shirts within that book. I tell him I'm haunted. I'm still haunted by it. I, sh- I, sh- I actually showed my stepdad. He's still
4: with us, still with us. I showed him the article, uh, and he felt ashamed. <laughs> Quite rightly so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you listen to this, Al. Feel, yeah, feel the shame. <laughs> and it's interesting. still refusing
2: to drink Malbec.
4: Yeah, <laughs> I say
2: still still refusing to drink Malbec wine at a dinner table, though. Yeah,
1: that's it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, down the okay. toilet with that. I think if anyone does have any of these shirts sort of hiding away in the loft or or the pride of place within your collection, do share them on the um, Kit Mag Twitter account. Give us a message and let us see what they look like. Often with these shirts, you'll see them in extra small, small, medium. You can't get them in every size possible because obviously they weren't uh, mass produced. But if you do have any, do share them and we'll have a little look at them.
0: Okay, so moving on to the quiz this week. So Tom added J-League expertise to his knowledge of shirt namesets. So he's taking on the challenger again, Adrian, who's looking for his first win. The question today, we covered the 90s Champions League last week from Rob's article, but there are 11 club kit colour combos that have won the Champions League since 2000 inclusive. So, for example, Borough in a red shirt. So of those 11 club colour combos, how many can name? I think as the challenger, we'll go for Adrian first. Six. I think you should name them, mate, to be honest. So we are allowed to make two mistakes, a third mistake, and you're out.
2: Real Madrid all white? Yes. Liverpool all red? Yep. AC Milan, black and red stripes? No. Barcelona, blue and what we call it, claret stripes? Yep. Chelsea, all blue? Yes. Manchester United, all red?
0: Yes. Five and one incorrect. Did I say five? What did I bid? Five? Six.
2: (laughs) Porto, blue and white stripes the win the win excellent
0: so now standing three of you at one win each well done so yeah to recap started with real in black in 2000 bayern have won twice with a red shirt real three times in white milan twice in white porto you got blue and white liverpool red twice barca's blue and red combo four times united red into black blue Chelsea twice in blue and Real
3: in purple. Where are Man City on there? Oh, oh,
1: sorry, <laughs> Tom. We've just lost a load of listeners there. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not a load, but yeah. Actually, they probably wouldn't. They wouldn't have listened to last week. It was Champions League.
2: Rob, what would you have given your article in your collection? How many would you have bid then if you were in that? If you were in that quiz final, what would you have gone with? Um,
1: let me just count. Just counting the shirts on the rail. 20-odd. <laughs> uh, 20, 20 <laughs> great. Great work, work guys.
0: So, Tom, I hope, fueled by the disappointment of your loss, you're now going to tell us about one of your pet hates in Kit Room 101. So what is it you're going to talk about today?
3: So... Fueled by the fury of that defeat, I am going to put in room 101 novelty football shirts. So so what I mean by that is all of those, I think it's AFC Beedale shirts where you have a huge great carrot on the front or, I don't know, some second division Spanish team with a tuxedo print. I just, you know, we're, we're a subsect of society that looks like plonkers at the best of times because of what we wear. Why do we want to make life more difficult for ourselves?
1: I just want to chime in there, Tom. I'm totally 100% with you. If you've got a kit that just looks absolutely ridiculous, you're never going to want to wear it. You're not probably going to want to buy it. And that's why a lot of them um, are charity shirts, aren't they? Which I think is a fantastic thing to do. And it's a great cause and all those sorts of things. But do you know what? I'd probably pay double if it was for charity and the shirt looked decent. Make me a nice shirt. I'll give you more money. Your charity will make more money. And I get why they do it because, you know, it's a talking point and it raises more awareness of what your your issues are and those kind of things. But I'm pretty sure that that prawn shirt that was from Spain or wherever definitely wasn't raising money for charity and probably just made you want to eat more prawns.
0: The point to consider is um, you've, if you've been to your local fiveside side centre, it's absolutely full. At least 50% of the players will have one of these charity or novelty shirts. So given the physique of the average 5 side player, do you want to see 50% of them topless?
2: No, I mean, there's alternatives to going topless. What I would say is actually, given your scenario there, your example, those shirts are actually really, really useful because it, uh, it's, it's a healthy indicator of which individuals to
4: avoid when you're playing 5 side
1: <laughs> Oh, there's a sausage. Don't pass to them.
2: I do
4: find that I am a bit of a football shirt fascist. Uh, if somebody's wearing something that is appalling... I can't be their friend.
1: Phil, you're going to fit in. Nice knowing
0: you, Phil.
4: (laughs) Cheers, boys.
2: Going back back to episode one, though, and we talked about Forward Madison in terms of the marketing side of it and club-generated income. Do you think there's a space for it there, though, Tom? Because these clubs undoubtedly have generated extra income from these crazy, wacky designs.
3: Yeah, I I definitely can appreciate the aim of them. I, I just think... You know, like going back to I think Rob said previously, a, a lot of the reason he collects shirts, and it's the same for me, is that a lot of the time it's it's got to do with a certain player or or a team that I have a real affinity towards or a classic match, something like that. I can't say I've sat through and watched any of these shirts live. Um, like I said, I, I look like a plonker most of the time rocking up to the pub in a Herford Berlin shirt. So, yeah, I think they should be bound for every girlfriend, wife, boyfriend, partner up and down the country that has to sit opposite you and, and see you in one of those? I'm not going to fight it, actually. No, fair enough. I take my point back.
1: Yeah, you win, Tom. You win. Well done.
3: Well, no, that, that makes up for the um, quiz defeat.
0: Okay, so having alienated the other half of our viewers that aren't City fans, um, time to close the pod, come to the end of episode three. So I'd like to thank Rob, Adrian, Tom and our guest Phil. I hope you've enjoyed it again. If you'd like to give us any feedback, you can use the hashtag KitPod on Instagram or Twitter or tag us at at KitMagazine underscore on Twitter or at KitMag underscore on Instagram.